1: Welcome everyone back to another edition of new books in education. This is your host Ryan Allen on the new books network. And uh, once again, I'm very excited. I made some connections through social media and found a, a fantastic book. Uh, so, you know, anyone to social media and Twitter uh, should really just, just get out there and, and, and try to find people that are in that you're interested in and that post interesting things. So, uh, without further ado, let me introduce uh, Peter Pavarelli, Uh and he recently wrote this book called One Turbulent Year, uh, China, 1975, and this is a book where he's a foreign student in China during the Cultural Revolution. Uh, just m- my mind is blown just hearing this uh, description of the book, and uh, uh, just for, for connections, I, I, his blog, if you want to go check that out as well, it's sort of excerpts of the book, so if you want to get a Little more understanding or, or, you know, you want to read it before you, before you buy anything like that. Um, go check out one turbulent year, China, 1975.wordpress.com. Uh, or and you can also follow him at si theorist, uh, at si theorist. Um, also you can follow me at politics and ed as always. So, uh, Peter, thank you for, uh, joining, uh, new books in education. No problem. I'm, honored that you, uh, found me and chosen me for an interview. Absolutely. Well, I when when and you know, I have a personal interest in China. And uh, so this is one of the reasons that I, that I wanted to, to hear this, uh, this interesting story, interesting tale. And, and I think, you know, because now you're years later, you're, you have academic roots. I, I think it's, it's especially important. Yeah. Well, at that time, of course, everybody was
0: amazed. Not only that I went to China, but before even that I chose Chinese, let's call that that, call, uh, Chinese language and uh, culture as a, as a major. Because what the on earth would you be doing, could you be doing with a specialization like that? Because right. no one was doing anything in China, with China, about China. Right, right. And now that's quite different, of course.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah. let, let's set up what, um, so what are you doing right now? You're, you're, you're teaching at, at a university. Uh, can you just maybe give a, just a very brief maybe a, academic background about yourself?
0: Kind of yeah, well, as I introduced, I started learning Chinese, studying Chinese, uh, and I was a freshman in, in 1974. It's so one year before. But before that, I had uh, learned Chinese on my own on a, in an evening course for three years. So I actually started learning Chinese when I was 14. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that was mainly, I was my, my main interest was languages, foreign languages. It was my fascination at that time. And, uh, you know, in Holland we study, we learn a lot of languages in school, including English, uh, which is good for the interview, of course, right. today. And French, German, I had Latin and Old Greek as well. It's called grammar school in Europe. But I wanted to learn some, uh, uh, any, any non, any non-European language and China, Chinese was available in my hometown. It's a small town and it was even, the course was given in my, uh, my, uh, high school, uh, building. Wow. So it was, uh, the nearest non-Western language that I grabbed. And from one thing came another. So my interest in China. So after three years when I graduated from uh, high school, uh, to, uh, Right, yeah, for Chinese was, um, but nowadays I am uh, teaching uh, organization theory and uh, in, as part of business administration course, so it's quite different, but I changed it somewhere in between, but I'm sure we can come back to that later in the interview.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I just you know wanted to set that up where um, you know you, you you do have an academic background which potentially was informed by these experiences that you had when you were younger. Uh, which, which I think, is potentially uh, something that everybody sort of has, you know, goes through or can can reflect back upon. Uh, it, it's it, I'm I'm su- surprised that uh, you mentioned your your hometown had Chinese language in 19. Would that been early 70s?
0: 74. or 70, Yeah, I started. So it was 1970. Was the first time as well. Well, it, you no, know, it's called. Uh, it was one of those. You know, you have this this this. Non-profit organizations that organize uh, evening courses—some uh, more practical, some pure for hobby—and uh, this guy, I think the guy who initiated this, uh, was teaching Russian there, and uh, well, at least for Russian, that, that was a market, of course, uh, during the Cold War. Right. But uh, he had this insight that China might be useful uh, or uh, would become at some time in the near future so this man was a little insight and yeah, it happened curious. so I think it was the very first evening course in Chinese in the Netherlands wow it happened to be so it's, it's a lot of happened to be uh, a lot of uh, haphazard uh, haphazardness uh, right
1: <laughs> well have you uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Malcolm Gladwell and his, his outlier sort of theory where it, it kind of reminds me of that where like
0: you know yeah well I use the word fate a lot in the book not that I'm uh, uh, ex- preoccupied with fate, but there were a lot of things. So, when I started university in 1974, was also the year that the official uh, exchange of students between the Netherlands and China was organized. I was an official ex- uh, exchange student. Okay. So yeah. Selected and sent by my government. That was the only way to do things with China at that time. And uh, I was one of the first as well. I happened to be there. Right. And that was the time that my, of course, then, then my 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 investment, my three years investment in a evening course, uh, paid back very well because I was chosen uh, because of my grades, right? Freshman year, yeah.
1: Now, so you you went there already. How 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 well were your Mandarin skills at that point? Where
0: I could speak Chinese very well, I must say, because when I entered, uh, when I entered. Uh, arrived at beijing finally after my 48th trip from Amsterdam to beijing much longer than uh, I, I devoted an entire chapter to that uh, uh i could have a sh- simple conversation with the uh, school representative that picked me up there but uh, there was a dutch diplomat uh a sinologist as well who was also there to pick me up and he was quite amazed i mean it sounds like bragging but he was quite amazed <laughs> so his first reaction was why why are you, why are you, why are you going to do this yeah because you can already speak chinese
1: Right, right. That's uh, that's interesting. So uh, before before you left, I mean, do you, do you recall like any preparation or or, or what was going on uh, with just what, what did you know of China other than you know you knew the language or what, what was your conception?
0: Well, I think hindsight, uh, we didn't know much. Of course, I had studied Chinese language and culture, the official name of the course for a year, so we believed to know quite a lot about China already, but actually what's going on, what was going on in China at that time in 1975, it was, again, as I, uh, my, my, the book the, the phrase that I use in the book is secluded empire. Oh. Our press, I, just, I think it's in both sides of the Atlantic, our press was quite like now I can say quite biased, of course, it was communist and therefore bad. It was something like the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe were bad, so china was also must also be bad but actually, how bad and in what way uh this Evil was typically Chinese. No one could tell. There were, of course, and we knew, people knew about the Cultural Revolution, about young people walking in the streets with the little red book in their hand, shouting slogans. And actually, one of the other reason, apart from my good grades, that I was selected so easily is that most of my fellow students did not even sign up to be selected to mm. be sent to China because they were afraid or discouraged, uh, not afraid maybe, but discouraged about all this publication about China at that time.
1: Right, right. And so you, you had no apprehensions or you were just,
0: you know. I was brave, that? I guess. I was, I, I still am not, oh, not brave. I just, when I want to do something, I just do it and I'll see what happens. I'm, I'm confident that I can, you know. And of course, I'm confident that when your government sends you to, uh, preach and to study for a year, uh, as part of an official agreement between two governments that, I mean, you will not know, end up, you know, being beaten up or, you know, imprisoned or, or whatever can happen to you. I was quite confident right. that it was. I mean, the worst that could happen to me was that I would say up at a campus. Right. Uh, that it would be very hard to leave the campus. And we were very surprised that we were extremely free, at least within the city limits of Beijing, to, to, to use the bus and walk around from day one. So. Yeah. Well, why don't we, what happened to that? What,
1: tell us, uh, you know, when you got there or, or how, how did you get there? What was, what was that like?
0: Well, well, we flew with KLM, of course, you get this, you know, that's part of the, it's, it's our national carrier, it still is, it's, and, uh, but nowadays, I, of course, I fly about five times a year, and you, Beijing or Shanghai or Hong Kong, and Beijing is nine hours, nine and a half hours, Hong Kong 11, uh, 12, and Shanghai is somewhere in between, but at that time it took me 48 hours, it was a DC-8, of course, you may not even know Uh, You know a DC-8, but you probably haven't seen a DC-8 in the inside. Right, yes. But it's a flying bus for us, I mean, our terminal is a flying bus with uh, something you use in uh, domestic flights. Uh, So it was Amsterdam, uh, doing it by art, uh, Athens, uh, someplace in the Middle East, uh, uh, Pakistan, it was uh, uh, Rangoon in Burma, so I saw a lot of small uh, exotic air strips. Airfields and then end up in Hong Kong, uh, ten o'clock in the evening local time. So the uh, hotel was booked for us. We slept there for a night, and then the next day take train to the border, Hong Kong Chinese border. Right. Get off the train, walk with the suitcase in your hand over a small wooden bridge to a small village called Shenzhen. And now of course it's the Shenzhen Special Economic Zone, a million. City with millions of inhabitants. Right, right. Uh, then wait for the local train and take the local train to a city called Guangzhou, Canton. Yeah, picked up, of course, by someone there. Already, the people knew that was there. Then take another flight from Guangzhou to Beijing. So it was about forty-eight hours. Right, right. And who no, were
1: who these, these other uh, people? These other students uh, with you on this trip?
0: Well, this particular trip, uh, we were two, two Dutch. Students. The other Dutchman was not even studying in, uh, in my own uh, university, not in Leiden University. And Netherlands. he was a Dutchman studying at uh, uh, School of Oriental and Asian Studies, so as in London. Okay. But he applied because he was Dutch and uh, he wanted to be a diplomat, and he became a diplomat afterwards. And I think he made a very good impression the committee, selection committee. So he was selected as well. Both of us uh, made it almost. To the end, but when we are in Hong Kong, he noticed that his suitcase was in Amsterdam. Oh. He preferred to wait for another day in Hong Kong to yeah. enter China with his uh, luggage, which okay. is probably very sensible. So I arrived on my own. In, uh, okay, Beijing. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's America. America, yeah.
1: so. What uh, when you get to Beijing, uh, what what sort of reception, what kind of welcoming do you, do you guys have, or do you have?
0: Well, there was the, the teacher was. Well, the role to call teachers, it was the guy in charge of the foreign students. But in Chinese, you call them teacher, because they are an official of the school that was picking me up, so and he was there. And there was someone from the embassy that's something, of course, that would not happen to you nowadays. Nowadays, you arrive at the airport and you'll uh, try to find your own way, or you are uh, taken <laughs> up on the grounds. But when well, we were met, with a, it was very official, with a car, a driver, uh, driven to school, so it's... You know, for i was 19 then so for a 19 uh, year old uh, students of course if you feel very uh, very comfortable it's very it's far far right from this uh, all these ghost stories that you, we were uh, told and that we could read in, uh, in the media China. Yeah. we were vip's actually we were treated like vip's of course and we were vip's in the chinese eyes right right yeah and this was
1: the the first student delegation uh, since I, I guess in, from from maybe Western Europe, since um, since when or when?
0: Yeah, well, since I think uh, there were there were not really were not probably there were exchange kind of exchange students. So uh, some students went to China on their own in the fifties, sixties because they liked China. That's just the other type, the, the 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 zealots, the the, the the what I call it also in the book, the leftists, and so mm. the people want wanted to be in China to study in China because they you know for political reasons yeah. but I think I was the third part of the third batch of European students uh, that studied in China in an uh, official way uh, in the light of official exchange programs mm-hmm. since the establishment of the People's Republic of China so I think before 1973 the only foreign students in China were those non western students at this on oh, the West sorry, the Western students were those who were went there for political reasons and they you know they went there on their own they went to they sought uh out the Chinese embassies or uh, whatever the representative office they were and uh, they went there for political reasons uh, right. on their own account but we were i think it was nineteen seventy three that the uh, exchange started uh, and yes that you went right to Europeans because they were not Americans yet right. I right, think okay. from both sides. I think the American government was not encouraging, uh, to say the least, uh, student American students to go to the PRC. And yeah. China was not ready yet, I guess, for an exchange program like that. That changed rapidly, of course. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Soon afterwards, but at that time there were no Americans so it was Europeans and uh, many non-Europeans you know, from right, right, uh, developing countries. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. sure.
1: With, uh, with Mao's sort of reach out to the developing, uh, quote third world, I guess.
0: Yeah, well, there were different types of students, of course. I mean, Mm -hmm. we had students, uh, African students or students from Southeast Asia, who went to China to study uh, metallurgy, medicine, uh, and the apex was uh, an Albanian student who went to China to study Spanish. Because he would not be able to go to Spain. Yeah. Or South America to study that, the only country Albanians would be able to study, the only foreign country Albanians would go to to study, whatever, was China. So, it were funny, funny, funny things that you it was, and yeah. it was funny and interesting way. We were, we were out I was open. That's an I'm Extreme. I'm not a political person. I've never been, but it was inter- so It's interesting to observe this kind of uh, uh, anomalies that an Albanian would study Spanish. In, right. Uh, in, in, uh, in Beijing, instead of uh, Madrid or Barcelona or uh, you know, what have you. Right. Well, that, that was politics for you.
1: Yeah, I think I mean you know we, yeah. we forget that <laughs> yes. not too long ago uh, in in sort of our history, uh, just with, with this political shift in the world, that uh, yep. uh, it's pretty amazing now. I mean, you can basically students are all over from everywhere. It's oh yes, of course. And as soon
0: as the Americans came, they came. I'm uh, hundreds, and I'm uh, of them. But that's of course. It's uh, there is a lot of interest. It's, it's right? Not, uh, it was the only, for me also. It was the, I've never met an Albanian before, so uh, you know, you, you would meet Albanians in Western Europe. So yeah. it was. Uh, we didn't only learn. Uh, it's also part of the book uh, in many chapters. Uh, it's not only we didn't only learn about China. Uh, we learned a lot about. Uh, the world and uh, other peoples, and uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, so. From that point that view, of, well, it was a, 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 a much more comprehensive human uh, uh, experience. Uh, apart from, uh, of course, learning a lot about Chinese, uh, speaking Chinese very well, and uh, you know, uh, learning about the country by looking and talking with people, we learned so much more. Uh,
1: Absolutely. So, w- which uh, which university were you were you kind of stationed in in, in Beijing?
0: It was not a real university, it was called the Beijing Language Institute. Nowadays it calls itself a university, I think it's the the official name now is Beijing Language and Culture University. Okay. But it's it's called the Beijing Language Institute, BLI, and uh, it was well, what it is, a language school, so it was a school where foreigners learn Chinese, and it was set up for for foreigners to learn enough Chinese to go to a a real university to follow courses in Chinese. Right. So it was originally set up for these people from developing countries. Um, okay. Well, you can imagine that you are from Uganda and you're sent to China to study medicine. You need to learn a lot of Chinese in order to follow courses in Chinese about, you know, yeah. medical topics. And then, since 1973, it was open for Western European and Japanese students as well. Right. Special classes for for Westerners to study Chinese. Okay. And, uh, and so… a very good job, I must say. It was a very good uh, good school. Okay. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting.
1: What uh, when you're at the university or this uh, school is it, is it like a compound? That, that yes, okay, yeah, a campus. Uh, we were housed in a campus building. It's still
0: there. Visited recently. There okay. we were some changes, but it's still, it looks very old. So it's a, an old building, and we uh, know it was a, a dorm with two people uh, in a room. Uh, first half year, I uh, shared room with was with the other best and I think in January or February we. Chinese roommates, which was also quite amazing that they let us share a room with the Chinese. So that was another, uh, surprise, right. uh, uh, at least there were Chinese studying, uh, a number of foreign languages, sure. mainly elderly people, well, elderly, of course, not fifties and sixties, but in the thirties, typically people who needed a foreign language for their job. Uh, right. I guess that's also the reason why they were very confident to, uh, to uh, expose them to uh, a bunch of European uh, right. young right. European students with all their parties and uh, uh, and all the thing. Of course, that's another another theme that's all over the book. Of course, then you have these young Europeans in the 20, one <laughs> of trying to emulate, as where uh, you emulate, uh, your you know, student life in, uh, in Western Europe. Uh, right? How did that work? As well as we could. I
1: mean, were you able to to replicate it or? or? Well you, guys- well,
0: you know, you know, it, it involves beer and wine, and of course, when I uh, and that was available, there was beer in China. It's uh, uh, no uh, no uh, potato chips all the time, but not. But there were things to uh, to uh, to uh, liquor was cheap. It was file uh, most of it is horrible Chinese Baijiu, <laughs> very strong, 50 60 percent alcohol. Right, but we start to beer, and that's all right. And uh, well. We had these parties, I mean, not every night, we were all drunk all the time, but uh, we had these parties and uh, no one objected us having these parties in that respect as well. We were quite free to do. Uh, we were not winning the building or anything, but we had parties and uh, quite a few uh, big parties. And, okay. uh, we, no, we did things and we went out to dinner. Okay. We saw I, I, I quickly developed a small group of students, like five, six uh, real friends. Uh, their names pop up as well in uh, most of the chapters. Sure. And one of our hobbies was uh, checking out restaurants. Uh, eating was cheap for us. And, uh, and again, it was open. We took a bus and we had bikes, some bought bikes. And we actually were given bikes. Uh, we were lent bikes by the Dutch embassy, by nice suggestion. Right. So we were cycling around and we were uh, trying out restaurants all the time. Uh, so it was actually quite... Uh,
1: yeah, what was it like? I mean, just riding your bike around Beijing, was it... Would, would you cause a stir just sort of being there or by you
0: at this, uh, sometimes you, uh, would draw a crowd. Uh, it was right. Amazing. It was more intense in uh, other cities. We made a trip in, uh, during the winter holiday, Chinese, around Chinese New Year. So you would draw crowds on that, but it was okay. I think it, it was quite, uh, quite pleasant. Uh, we draw attention, but not, not excessive, right? It's also the behavior. I think some of my fellow students drew more crowds than others. It depends on how you behave, of course. uh, uh, I try, usually, still do try to blend in. Uh, Every now and then, I I, I seek out small places. Well, I was in Tibet for the first time uh, only this year in June, Uh, so I seek out smaller places. And uh, well, people notice you, but you can behave in a way that it's uh, that's almost like natural.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I mean. You're here, it's it's, it's the, the mid-70s. Just the fact that probably not a lot of foreigners are, are there in the first place, but then you add on top of this that it's uh, uh, this insane moment in history uh, yeah,
0: called the Cultural Revolution. It was the final year of the Cultural Revolution. We didn't know that, but it was the final year. And So, in yeah, Einstein, of course, you know, there was quite a lot of... You know, the, Local politics was really fermenting, and you you really wouldn't see that uh, very explicitly. But in hindsight, we were given signs, and we could see signs and read signs that you know China was not as stable politically as it uh, appeared to be uh, right. the outside. So, so the so lot of things mean... happened, and of course, the biggest event was January. I think it was in January. Uh, uh, the Premier Joe Enlai died. The man who had been Prime Minister of China since you know, since the beginning since right. uh, because they never elections and all these things so uh, they never change a winning team <laughs> right. and uh, people were really sad. there was another politician who died in uh, only a few weeks before in December uh, there was a little commotion but people were quite. Uh, uh, it was not really a real reaction, but when Joe and I died, uh, we had a few teachers uh, spontaneously start and broke out and breaking out in tears. Wow. During classes, which is quite uh, quite strange, was for us to show these emotions Yeah, well, an in Asia, so we then, you know, this man has disliked, was liked, uh, genuinely, it's not a propaganda. On the other hand, of course, we were also joking uh, that people broke out in tears because the only decent politician had died. <laughs> so now the, that's the joke we made. Yeah, we made jokes of course, we were able to crack jokes actually. People let us do this. Uh we were not trying they were not trying to entertain it. That, of now the Chinese people were desperate that the uh, they were in the hands of uh, all those uh, radicals who had led the Cultural Revolution. Right. Uh, Mao was dying. We we knew that. Uh so yeah, this entourage around Mao was now in charge, and Zhou Enlai was the only moderating factor in Chinese politics at that time. Right, and he died. So, so what uh, you?
1: I saw in the in in the book that you had met, uh, sort of consoled Zhou Enlai's wife.
0: Yes, well, that's. I told you we were from VIPs. We didn't always appreciate that at that time. But <laughs> uh, the next day we were asked to get in the school buses again. Uh, they took us to all kinds of places. Of course, I'd seen, but this time they took us to the uh, hall in the Forbidden City, where John Lien's body was uh, was placed and uh, surrounded by a few high politicians and uh, the next of kin, of course, wife. And, uh, we sorry, we made our round uh, to shake hands with all those people and uh, uh, and of course there were a lot of other, a lot of Chinese before us and after us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But those, even those, of course, those, that that crowd was only uh, a fraction, less than a percent or less than a percent of a percent of the Chinese population who were doing this. So we were quite, we should have been more honored than we felt at that particular moment to be able to shake hands with the top leaders of the country. Because the prime minister had died. Um, We we were really regarded, I think, by the government, uh, we foreign students as, as, especially the western exchange students as a kind of diplomats or, yeah the yeah, plants. right?
1: right. With, yeah, yeah. Was Ma- was Mao there? I mean, just a Mao? Oh no,
0: he wasn't okay, but It wasn't bad. I think most of the time he was not able to get up. He was a uh, a plant. This is not, it's very disrespectful to use that word, but he was a, what we say in Dutch. He was a plant. He was a vegetable uh, that time already. And of oh. course, he had the what later would be called the Gang of Four. His wife, right? And uh, her three closest associates were not there, or either. I think they didn't. Want, they didn't want to show their face uh, because Zhou Enlai actually was their greatest, the biggest enemy at that time. Right. It was, I guess that was, in my terms, the moderating factor. Yeah, okay. He was out of sight. And uh, later, people started to put up uh, a of flowers on the main square of China, Tiananmen Square, and they were hanging poetry uh, in praise of Joan Enlai, but also, that's a very Chinese... Way of doing things, of course, poetry that contained hidden messages. Right. Yeah. Hey, people, get out of get out of there, and you know, give way to uh, to uh, to the people to uh, to other factions. And, uh, that culminated on April four, April five, I think it was. That was the Qingming festival, the festival what we would call old, old Souls. Okay. Uh, when the Chinese celebrate, their or their death and, uh, uh, clean the graves of the ancestors and the night before all the ruts were taken away and all the poetry was taken away by the police. Uh, on account of the, uh, well, the, the, the current government, some de facto mouse life a mouse wife concert, and then a rally broke out a riot, even in, uh, 10 years. So in that year it was uh, April, early April, nineteen seventy-six. That's,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah, that's that's
0: it. We know about the Tiananmen incident that was 89, 1989. Right. I was in China right. as well at that time for a company. Okay, wow. wow. Later, yeah, but this was the first Tiananmen ex- uh, incident. Right, right, right. In uh, April uh, nineteen seventy-six, and that's all, of, and then of course that's one of the that's an occasion where these political uh, struggles were. Uh, uh, uh surfacing right, uh, behind the literally, literally uh, to the main square and uh, people were attacking the great hall of the people and this was of course right now people were arrested and it was quiet very soon and you didn't hear anything about it but uh yeah, yeah well, it was it was, a, so that's, it was yes that a turbulent there right well, it was probably just a couple yeah uh, yeah it was
1: uh, uh yeah. a couple years later when you know they uh i guess they, they throw the, the Gang of Four in, in jail and, and Dung kind of comes back, so... Uh, yes. You were, you were right there in the mix in that, which is just amazing.
0: Yeah, we had this slogan after that, after the death of Joe uh, so Elias so before the riot, uh, s- gradually slogans would appear uh, about a certain running dog uh, of revisionism or whatever slogan they had. Uh, and we already guessed it was Tang Xiaoping, and then the name Tang Xiaoping. So Tang Xiaoping fell then for the second time. Right. So when I entered China, Deng Xiaoping was still in the part of the government. He had already been banned once and <laughs> brought back. Right. And during that year, during so in the period after right after uh, John Lai's death, he was uh, demoted again. He was the bad guy again uh, yeah. because uh, his protector John Lai, was not there anymore to protect him.
1: Right. Wow. That, yeah. yeah. That's that's. Uh... It's quite fascinating. Can, can we jump back though? Uh, you know, we're talking about all this, uh, political, you know, these, these big moments. How about when you're interacting with, with the locals? I mean, did they have any sense of uh, sort of talking about the, these things that were going on around them or these incidents that were going on? Or?
0: It was difficult. It was difficult for us to speak to people on the streets. Yeah. We went to shops, like, and the restaurants, we had discussions. Uh, there was a restaurant nearly, uh, entrance of the school, where of course many of us uh, had uh, lunches together within groups. And there was a guy, a waiter who liked to talk to us. Uh, but uh, I think we also engaged in self-discipline uh, or censorship, if you want to, not to bring up extremely controversial things. Right. Uh, uh, we spent the week, uh, There was also part of, of course of the That period, we spent a week in a commune, so-called rural commune, or or in Chinese terms, a people's commune, as part of the lessons.
1: Right. Uh,
0: So, and then we could speak to people, uh, some of these commune members of the global farmers, uh, uh, but no, we didn't engage in political conversations. I think the most political conversation I had, I I mentioned that in the book, was at the end of the winter holiday, uh, which we... We traveled uh, by train all the time. We I mean, did the train back to Beijing. We spent the whole night there, and I had some discussion with teachers. And this teacher, started, this female teacher, started uh, on her own, on her own account, to uh, criticize people in Shanghai that we visit. Oh wow! Uh, but I don't, I'm not sure whether it was this famous uh, Beijing against Shanghai know, this <laughs> right. feud or it's a political feud. We have this thing in the Netherlands, uh, Rotterdam people and Amsterdam people. I'm sure in the United States we have people. Uh, well, yeah, north and south. Si- yeah, north and south, you have people who know the are different. You, know, you don't know what it's about. People themselves don't know what it's about. But when you are from A, you don't like people from B and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, so no, no, we, we didn't have big but. There was, I say, in, in our lessons, in our class, the regular class that we had, we're not, not, the teachers did not, the school did not attempt to, uh, you know, to changes or indoctrinate us at all. Okay.
1: Uh, so, they
0: yeah. had already given up on us, or it was part of the policy, or these Western European students are here for, you know, learning about China in an open way, but we are not going to change, or try to change their minds, or, uh, so,
1: cool. in, so what we, they...
0: we were very grateful for that. It was one of the fears... Right. We had that we had a lot of politics, but no, we had not.
1: So, what, what were the what, what were you getting taught in the classroom? Was it just language, or were there were also politics courses, or just general?
0: Well, was it dip? indirect? Uh, usually, all mornings uh, was quite. We had full days, five full days, and uh, Saturday morning, so it was quite a uh, wow. heavy uh, schedule. But it was good. It was, uh, all mornings, uh, five mornings, we had uh, language lessons. It's a book published by the school. Uh, you know, with the text and new vocabulary, grammar, and all this stuff. You know, the that, uh, the that taught in Chinese, of course. So we were literally immersed. And then in the afternoons, we had one afternoon. We had it's uh, called uh, literature. So we were leading uh, reading uh, parts, uh, chapters from novels, poetry, parts from uh, plays, and those had political content. Right. But so we were indirectly exposed to political content, but not. Uh, the politics were not really uh, really discussed, and we had, well, we had sessions with Chinese students who were studying English, so we spent one hour speaking English with them, and one hour speaking Chinese with us, and uh, that was very pleasant. Right. We even had, I'm writing it in the book as well, on Saturday mornings, we even had classical Chinese.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm sure that people who are familiar with China don't know what it is, but I think the best uh, comparison is that in Europe, people used to write in Latin, they would speak Dutch, German, French, Spanish, Italian, etc. But they would—they used to, to write in Latin. Scholars, you know, until right. the, even the 19th century. So in China, you had classical Chinese, which was the written language for ages, uh, while the spoken language was mainly that spoken, right? Uh, until I think 1920s, very uh, very late, uh, the, the vernacular language, the spoken language, became the national language. So. Uh, when you study Chinese seriously, study China, whatever aspect of China, you have to learn classical Chinese. But we were surprised that classical Chinese, we had two hours of classical Chinese. And I uh, yeah, think we were the only class who had that in uh, my, my group. Right. Uh, it could be part of the fact that one of the political movements was there to criticize uh, Confucius.
1: Right.
0: That, that's, yeah, yeah it's- <laughs> You, you laugh about it now but that was taken very seriously it was taken just before I went to China it was a new campaign criticized Confucius and when you criticize Confucius you have to read Confucius which is in classical Chinese so people started reading classical Chinese uh, more than uh, in the years before
1: right well I mean now you know just in, in the 70s you know criticized Confucius but now you know 2000
0: you know. it's different yes it's now it's completely turned around huh? Confucius is completely uh, in again it's yeah. a lot it's he was a, it was a statue of Confucius for, I think, half a year or something at the.
1: Right. He was rehabilitated. <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> that was taken away because it looked hideous. It was a mistake to put it there. It was uh, it looked horrible. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Can, did you get a sense of who these
1: other students were that were with you? That these Chinese students. Uh,
0: well, uh, finally, we had a, a roommates. We had roommates, so we got to know the roommates a little. Right. Uh, they, were, well, we were in our twenties typically and they were in the thirties and forties. Uh,
1: were they, uh, I guess like, were they party members or were
0: oh, they? Oh, probably, uh, they were in companies, uh, pe- probably people who had to deal with foreigners or to negotiate with foreigners. Um, uh, some of them were engineers who had to, uh, to, to read, uh, foreign literature oh, right. or uh, mainly English. Uh, and, uh, uh, they didn't take part in our parties except once. Yeah. Okay. That was very, I write about that. And my roommate Emily got drunk <laughs> and, and fiercely criticized <laughs> about that. the yeah, oh, in a room with me present. was very nice. That's a nice scene in the book. Uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah, we talked to them, uh, about anything. They were very, I think they were very well, 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 trained and instructed not to, uh, they were very open in one hand about themselves and where they lived and other families and. But again, I think we were also ex- uh, exercising extreme uh, self censorship. Yeah, yeah right. either by fear or, or that we didn't like that we didn't want to hurt people's feelings. And uh, uh, well, well, so the, the the context was very shallow. I think also includes even the teachers. We had a class teacher, so as our, our, our my my group had a a group teacher, group leader. Call them, uh, so a teacher was attached to us, uh, our mentor right if you want uh, to but we really didn't know much about him
1: yeah
0: uh huh. and we, i think we kept it that like that yes we were we could have been more inquisitive yeah but yeah. we didn't know what would be the result of being more inquisitive so uh, How about we we left it like that but i think we've we talked about china a lot about, about ourselves what we saw and what we liked what we didn't like what we believed uh, we interpreted of course we were academics or. or, or uh, right. Becoming an academic, so we most of us, of course, the European students were sinologists, we were studying China, we were right? China and Chinese, we were interested in China. Uh, that was quite different from the students from the third world countries who went to China or sent to China, right? right. They were not even there, not all of them were there on their own free will to <laughs> study a subject. So, the, the, the most that was the big schism, I think. Uh, the, the, the Europeans and the Japanese and a few others from uh, few other countries who were studying China and Chinese interested in the country, and those who were studying Chinese to study whatever there was their major in China and were not really interested in the country.
1: How, how about with these other foreign students, especially, you know, maybe you even mentioned that, uh, Albanian student or these other third world country yes.
0: students? Well, Spain of course were special, they had a special relationship with China. Right. But uh, there were quarrels every now and then between African students and Chinese students and Chinese people in the streets and sometimes even teachers. Uh, Chinese, I have to be careful what I say. I said, they're not racist, but, uh, towards people with very dark skin, that's also part of, uh, of course there are Chinese, traditional Chinese, uh, uh, uh superstition. There are people with black faces are usually bad people, uh, mm. uh on the other hand, the behavior, typical behavior, very open behavior of many Africans, uh, conflicted with uh, the more closed, you know, keep to yourself behavior of Chinese. Uh, so there were much more conflicts, right. there were many more conflicts between, uh, for instance, African students and Chinese students, or even people on the streets, quarrels. So I think. Yeah, that's. that's... Uh, we try to avoid, and we did avoid quarrelling. Okay. But, uh, uh, how about yeah. with
1: your other fellow uh, foreign students there? Did you guys get into politics or this other stuff that you were seeing or going on?
0: Well, yeah, are conversations. And, well, you know, students, I think uh, on both sides of the Atlantic, we like, we still uh, students, young students still like to talk politics, right. and discuss and debates, and we did a lot of it among ourselves in our rooms together, during the parties, during the dinners, during the lunches and the uh, breakfasts. Uh, we, had three, we had three meals a day in the, in the student dining hall. The student dining hall played a very big role in, the, in our life. It's also in the book. Okay. Uh, it was not just for eating, it was for socializing. Right. So soon we had tables of people who liked each other. Uh, we, had tape, paper, we had a table of people who were, who were interested in China but not in, for a political motivation. Right. But there were Westerners who were very motivated. Uh, Those were the people, the most funny, one of the funny things that I mentioned about them in the book is that uh, Christmas is in a few days. So on December 25, 1975 at breakfast, there was a German uh, girl, and a Swiss boy uh, carrying their books to breakfast as they would always do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we were surprised when you make your books and said, we're going to class. I said, Hey guys, did you look at the calendar? (laughs) it's Christmas, no, we are not Christians, we are going to class, (laughs) but our teachers had told us that we could stay away from class for two days, right? because they knew, and of course secretly we believed, and I'm sure that was right, we were right in believing that, that they were happy to have a few days off themselves, (laughs) so you can imagine, but they had to go to class at least once to show their face, and so you can imagine, uh, we were trying to imagine the faces of their teachers, of their group. When they because they had to teach them, I'm sure they only taught them for an hour or so and uh, let them go. Uh, so this kind of extreme behavior to the people I like call the leftists—that's what you had in uh, among of, there, was a, there was a small minority of European students, but they had to, um, the Japanese didn't go to. Classroom on December twenty fifth, and even some of the Muslim students didn't go to class on uh, December twenty fifth because they celebrated any, right, <laughs> they took just any occasion.
1: A day off is a, is a day. Yeah,
0: so uh, but there were people like that. Yeah, yeah. so um, how- okay, we respected them. We respected them, but but you know, we at least uh, on the outside. But these were. Uh, Right. We, we, really took, we really, they were funny people. Uh, so I mean, you don't did. do things like that. I'm sure our teachers didn't. The teacher didn't appreciate their behavior. They're going to class on the twenty five. Uh, right, right. You right.
1: know
0: uh, the Chinese are a ne- uh, very patriotic uh, patriots, and they expect other people to be patriots as well and uh, to respect their own your own culture and um, uh, you know, to live by your own rules. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, How about um, you know? I, I guess kind of
1: wrapping up your your. Your trip in China. Yeah. What was it like to sort of leave or to go? Or was there sort of a, a decompression period before you uh, left or anything? We're like?
0: given, we weren't given this. Uh, talk about turbulent years. So at the, uh, we already had bought our tickets again, Beijing, Guangzhou, and then Guangzhou, uh, the tickets to Hong Kong. Right. And someone was waiting for us in Hong Kong. And we were ready for to spend the second last night. And at four o'clock in the morning, I woke up and my first thought was who the hell is knocking on my door at four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And then I saw my roommate already standing at the uh, the window and said, wake up, it's an earthquake. So it was the big earthquake of July 1976. (laughs) The epicenter was not in Beijing, it was in Tangshan, an industrial and mining city, not far from Beijing, but it was so big, it was probably one of the biggest earthquakes in uh, in the century. Right. Wow. Or ever in human history, uh, also in terms of, of casualties, of course. But the, the Earth was really uh, uh, shaking and uh, was like in, like a in wave. I've never seen an earthquake. My roommate was coming from an area in north North China where they have earthquakes, small earthquakes regularly. Mm. So it was it was a crack in the wall, and we ran down. Of course, uh, I had some stuff with me, my passport and my tickets. And you, that's what you do. You, your mind doesn't work properly. doesn't uh, right. Function properly, in, in, when your building is uh, shaking from an earthquake, but I took some stuff with me, and I was wearing my uh, wearing clothes actually. Uh, I could see the, an Icelandic student. Uh, we had two of them. As one well, Icelandic student ran, ran completely naked, oh god with all his underpants in his hand, which he put on uh, just before <laughs> leaving the building. Oh my god. And we spent the the last, our very last day at the Beijing Language Institute, uh, mainly in the dining hall. Uh, it started raining as well, and in the bicycle shed, and walking around little when the rain stopped. Uh, so that was goodbye, saying goodbye yeah. for the school for us. So Something the day about. that we uh, expected to say goodbye, shake hands with the teachers and everything, we uh, spent, we were total disarray. At the, the the final evening, we were allowed to spend uh, in the building as well, but not on the top floor. I was living in the top floor. Right. Uh, we were allowed to pack and bring our stuff to the second floor, I think, and we spent the night in the second floor. Yeah, uh, and then left. Uh, the airport was intact, so I uh, left Beijing uh, uh, in the plane that I had bought the ticket for. That was not a problem. Right, but it was not very hectic. So even the very last day at the school and. Uh, was uh, extremely turbulent. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, that word is uh, very well chosen, I think. Wow, that's, and, uh, but so. That's a yes. send-off. <laughs> that's some send-off you, got, you had. Yeah, that was, that was uh, incredible. Uh, although in Guangzhou, then I spent one night there. So on the way to China, we spent the day and uh, a night in, in Hong Kong. We, we spent one night in, uh, in Guangzhou before we took a plane in, uh, from Hong Kong. We met uh, one of our fellow students who was traveling then, uh, and he didn't know. He, uh, he had heard rumors about that something was going on North China, but he didn't know, and also the hotel staff. So uh, news of this huge earthquake didn't travel very fast. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, but as soon as we boarded the train in Hong Kong, we... Got from the uh, we end, ended the border f- uh, formalities and we were back in Hong Kong and boarded a train. We were attacked by journalists because we were the first people, at least the first Westerners, coming from uh, from Beijing from, from the uh, earthquake area. Right. So it was almost two days afterwards. Mm-hmm. So we that's another another uh, turbulent experience. So instead of uh, sitting down uh, in the train, enjoying the scenery. Uh, to mm-hmm. Hong Kong, uh, we were interviewed by local newspapers and uh, local TV. Uh, uh, it seems that they expected uh, horror stories, but there was not much horror going on at our school. Uh, uh, the biggest horror was that my uh, my uh, transistor radio had fallen down from the cupboard <laughs> and didn't work anymore, but didn't function <laughs> right. anymore. But no, and yeah, and, and oh yes, uh, uh, an Ethiopian student. Uh, who also used to earthquakes in his hometown jumped from the first, fourth floor instead of you know, using the stairs and broke his leg. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that was not very nice. I mean, he survived. I've seen him later. Actually, he visited the Netherlands later, years later. Right. But uh, so, so I think the journalists were a little, little left, us a little disappointed. Right. Uh, so, so you
1: was, keep in contact with uh, a lot of your cohort, your student that you.
0: Yes, I kept in contact with that student. Yeah, student, obviously, but unfortunately, died very young. I think was forty-six or when He died of cancer. Mm. So, uh, but I ran into one of my uh, the intimate, what I call the intimate, the group of five, six people that really became friends. Uh, I met a Finnish colleague student twice in China, once in a hotel lobby and once during a conference. So he is now. Uh, a professor in Helsinki. Uh, I met an Icelandic student. One of the Icelandic students once he became a diplomat. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yes, and uh, years later, I married a Chinese lady. And uh, this year, we we celebrate our thirtieth anniversary in well, Beijing.
1: Congrats! congrats.
0: Uh, and uh, one of the guests was one of my fellow students from Australia.
1: Okay,
0: Ali, who is. Spent half his life in Australia, half his life in China. He's doing China things, of course, and uh, yeah. and he married one of my classmates, in, uh, an English classmates of the uh, of the uh, Beijing Language Institute time. Uh, and very recently, because of this book, I found out very late, but has happened that there is a uh, Facebook ah, right. group of students, <laughs> foreign students studying in China between nineteen seventy three and seventy nine, right. Yeah. And of course, I immediately joined and uh, I uh, really found quite a few of my fellow students then. And uh, so, uh,
1: yeah, that's fantastic. That's I guess it's
0: the age, you know, we do things, uh, a lot of things, and we have a lot of endeavors, a lot of goals that we want to meet. And then when you're in your 50s, suddenly you start looking back. Uh, that's also why I wrote this book uh, yeah, that's advanced age. I mean, not old, but still, I could have written it much earlier. But I don't know if I could have written it much earlier because you need a certain uh, state of maturity to look better. I went back to China for half a year for my first. I have two two PhDs, uh, one in the arts and one of the uh, one in the business administration, with fourteen years in between. But for my first PhD, I went to I did some research for half a year in China. That's in 1981. Okay, yeah. I taught Dutch in. University, 1982 to 1984. Mm-hmm. That's when I married. Okay. And then I left academia for a while. I joined a Dutch company and was sent to China for five years, uh, 1986 to 1991. Right. So I've seen China move on. Yeah, you uh, on... Then after my uh, second PhD, I joined the, this university again on a part-time basis. I still have a company and consulting business. I do this with now I'm engaged in business administration. Still doing uh, research in China, so I'm spend about three months, three to four months year in China, doing all kinds of things, doing business, or so business consulting, doing research, teaching. So I've kept in touch. And uh, yeah,
1: I feel like you feel like your sort of your life has been very informed by oh yes, important decision of studying Chinese at fourteen,
0: right? And uh, the decision was made. Only or primarily for studying an old Western language, it could have been uh, anything, uh, but it turned out to be Chinese. So uh, now we can discuss whether it's fate or there is a higher power. But I think we are not interested in uh, that discussion, at least not here.
1: (laughs) Maybe that's the that's the next book. Uh,
0: Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, any any
1: concluding thoughts on this uh, uh, one turbulent year? Oh,
0: I'm very happy that I made this decision to sign up for that course, uh, even though China was this secluded empire, etc., with all those people, with, uh, with all those uh, revolutionaries, with little red books, and that I didn't wait, like some of my fellow students at that time for a few, few years later, but I'm, v- I'm very happy that I made this decision, that I was able to uh, uh, experience this final year of this Cultural Revolution period. Right. Uh, because it was it makes it's, it's makes sure my China, my entire China experience so much richer Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, do what you want to do take your chances. so if there is this Chinese course, take it. Uh, if people offer you to go to China for a year, do it jump on it yep. uh, if people offer you to teach in China, teach Dutch in China which of course never was be my, my uh, uh, never was the thing that I would expect to do all my life. You do it, of course. You do it to be in China, right. uh, you know, grab opportunities. I think that's one of the lessons uh, that you can take, even if you're not interested in China. Uh,
1: yeah, that's fantastic, and it, and I think like you you were back there in, in the mid '70s, and such a different time. But now we look at China today, and it's it's almost, I would imagine it's almost a whole different country.
0: Yes, well, actually, when I talk to young Chinese, okay, I, we have Chinese students here in Netherlands and I teach. Chinese students sometimes a few times a year in China and also in my business life I meet young, younger Chinese, Chinese even in their 20s, 30s who work at companies and uh, actually for them when their parents talk about the culture revolution it's like when I heard my parents when I grew up in the 60s to talk about the war oh. which was the second world war for them that was the war uh, but for me it was something in the past and for young Chinese Chinese uh, Cultural revolution and communes and uh, all this stuff—that's really gone to the countryside. Uh, that's their parents' stuff. Uh, they know about it, but they really don't know what it feels like. And of course, my my experience is not like that. Those young Ch- uh, Chinese were really sent to the countryside. but At least we had—I had savored that. Time. Right, that, 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 that period, and uh, it's it's a very rich uh, rich experience, and uh, and I draw still from that uh, in whatever I do in China with China uh, experience. It's uh,
1: well, no, and as I say now, just thinking about how many students are, are flocking to China, we kind of mentioned before for the interview we we're discussing this. And you kind of help pave the way for this. Uh, yes.
0: Eventually. Well, actually when I observe your B and now nowadays, of course, many, 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 many American students, uh, Western students, let's use the word. I must say that um, maybe I am too critical. They spend <laughs> a lot of time in bars at bars now. And, uh, a lot of spend a lot of time with their own people doing things, uh, some mix with Chinese, some have relationship with Chinese, but on the average, I think they have a lot of, there's a lot of more student life now, and they do a lot of more things with themselves than uh, with other people, so when you talk about, when you compare the uh, relationship we have with local Chinese, fellow students, Chinese students, Chinese teachers, Chinese in the streets, uh, there is not that much more interaction than there's before mm. there is definitely is more, but I think it's students are still, are still more secluded and, and, and not that more involved in Chinese society right. as we were, because there's so much to do. Well, now it's easier definitely to like student life in Europe or in the United or in North America. Uh, and of course, student life is, 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 is attractive when you are a student, right? Yeah. So, okay. uh, well, that. Yeah, I think that's something. But I don't want to be critical uh, to them. I think it's it's <laughs> you you you. It's it's not easy to to jump into a to immerse in a society. And I did my own immersion. Of course, my wife is born and raised in Beijing and uh, still very Chinese. But that's happened when I was teaching Dutch in right. the early '80s. Uh, so a few years later, when China had opened up for a while, and uh, that I could do a thing like that. I think that's worth another book. So, so that uh, of course is, uh, I think still the, the basis of that, the roots of that grown in this year in China, right? 75 76.
1: Okay. Well, that's usually the last question that we have on, on the network. Uh, okay. what, what is next? What, uh, do you have any, another book? Do you have another project, another paper? What do you got? What do you got going on?
0: Well, in terms of books, I just, uh, 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 less than a week ago, I got The Green Light from Springer. That's a German uh, uh, publisher. Uh, I told you I have two PhDs. My first PhDs is about the history of Chinese grammar studies, so the, the, the history of the way Chinese studied grammar. Oh, wow. It started very recently because there is no, no such thing as an indigenous Chinese grammar. Mm-hmm. Chinese started learning about grammar in the, in, in the course of the 19th century when they started learning uh, foreign languages. That book has never been that piece has not been pu- published properly, and I have done a revision and uh, I am still considered the authority on this land it 's a very small of course very narrow field, mm-hmm. uh, so I thought it was worthwhile to do a small revision and then again venture contact uh, a publisher of where I had published before, and now i got the green light. So that's the next thing. So and that's again something from the past. That's a PhD that I took and in, got in uh, in 1986. Wow. But um, I'm very happy. I'm very proud that it is going to be republished in a revised edition and properly in a proper book.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, be I'm thinking of a, a book on Chinese grammar still. Also, not the history, but to myself I think grammar still is uh, under. It still needs. To be addressed more thoroughly in language studies, there are still too many people, even sinologists, who claim that Chinese does not have grammar, which is nonsense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and, yeah, which, but
0: now. I wanted to be a fun book, right. not just no, so not a grammar book, not a, not a reference book, but the book the grammar book you can read something like Fun with Chinese Grammar. Oh, I
1: see.
0: I think it's about seventy percent ready in a manuscripts, uh, uh, and of course there is the, the sequel. So it is the sequel, and the sequel will be. Uh, of this book will be not the half year of research, but the two years that I taught Dutch. Okay. Also, yeah. a year that was the, the time that China really opened up, uh, and was also so it was also turbulent in another year. China was the Chinese were learning so much and sucking up Western culture so so quickly that they sometimes choked on it. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I was there teaching Dutch of all languages. I mean, who on earth in China would want to learn Dutch? <laughs>
1: I guess a couple
0: maybe. <laughs> we are also patriots, but who wants to learn Dutch? Anyway, there were people who learned Dutch. That's also appeared at once that that's that's worth a book like this,
1: right?
0: Oh, but let's first uh, stick to promoting and selling this book. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and I hope this a few helps.
1: Yeah, no, this this has been really great. Uh, I do yeah. appreciate it. The story is. So fascinating and, and worth a read for anyone interested in, in China or even just education, international students, international education. I think there's all sorts of avenues.
0: Yes. Uh, so yes. 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 I spent some time. I spent quite a lot of time on, uh, on how they taught us and how the teachers were really trying to teach us. They were doing a lot of working very hard with the limited means that they had. So it's, it's, yes, it's also about education. Definitely.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Alright, well, uh, Peter, thank you very much for uh, joining us and I uh, encourage the audience to go check out uh, Peter Peverelli's One Turbulent Year China 1975 uh, from BookScout and uh, we'll offer a link to that and uh, Peter, thank you for joining us and, uh, It was, a great,
0: it was a great It was an interesting experience
1: Alright, fantastic uh, and uh, thank you everyone out there and uh, hope you learned something